Hey everybody, Dave Hagen here. Let's talk today about 11 stock picking tips. That's today on the Financial Wellness Podcast. Welcome to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to the financial success. Here is your host, financial problem solver and talk show host, Dave Hagan. Hey, thank you, Nick, and welcome everybody to TFWP or the Financial Wellness Podcast. Coming to you today from Lake Arrowhead, California. We've got uh, Nick on the line here from San Diego, Nick, how you doing? Doing great, Dave. As always, great to be here. Good to have you. How's the weather down there? Oh, it is beautiful. I 78, sunny, looking out my window, not a cloud in the sky. Nice, nice. Now our engineer is coming to us from beautiful downtown Van Nuys, and I hear it's like 105, 106, something like that, out in that San Fernando Valley. So uh, just glad I'm not there today. <laughs> Let's talk about stock picking tips. You know, um, a few weeks ago, Nick, we were we were talking in episodes 320 and, and 321. Can you believe that? Episodes 320 and 321. Hard to believe. Dave, it's hard to believe we've been together for two years and it, it's it's been a beautiful time together. There you go. Two, two, two and a half. Don't forget our anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> but we were talking with Ryan Steiger, who was the author of this book, The Dividend Hunter, available on Amazon.com. And we were really kind of enamored with with the book. I mean, it, it's 130 pages of just plain, simple advice on why and, and how to pick stocks, primarily looking for dividend stocks, which was kind of uh, Ryan's twist on the whole thing. But in simple terms, in 130 pages, he talked about and, and defined stocks and markets and dividends and how to analyze stocks by looking at the balance sheet and the income statement and the cash flow statement. I mean, really good stuff, how to analyze a stock and how to consider whether you maybe want to buy that stock. But, you know, it takes some effort, it occurred to me, to learn this. As easy as he made it in his book, it still takes some effort to kind of think it through in your mind. And you really should learn that stuff, especially if you're going to use that information to invest your own money. Now, if you if you're into that, if you, you appreciate that knowledge, if you appreciate having that understanding and you dig it, hey, that's great. But it's not so great if you don't dig it or if you're busy doing, you know, other things. So I thought that it would be interesting to do a show on, you know, whether there's some alternatives. So that's the, the big um, that's the big question that we're going to answer here on the show today. Are there other alternatives? And well, we, we came up with maybe 11 different ways to, to pick stocks. So let, let, let's go down the list. How about number one, get hot stock tips from Uncle Loose Lips Louie. What do you think there, Nick? 
you have an uncle loose lips, Louie. Oh that's, my goodness. That's a, <laughs> that's a frightening visual. <laughs> um, personally, Dave, about stock tips. I think stock tips are always great to receive. However, I am a firm believer in doing your diligent research before you invest your money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my response to that was n- no, I mean, not, not, not really a good way to get your information, but you know, check it out, investigate. You, you never know, but I wouldn't really rely on uncle loose lips, Louie, you know? Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that, but maybe one tip out of a hundred, one tip out of 25 may be worth pursuing. So maybe, and, and maybe, but maybe, you know, just put out a feeler, throw in, 25 bucks, 50 bucks. And you know, if, if it goes up and you can be happy. Yeah. Well, but you don't know, you, you don't know what their motivation is. You don't know what, what their level of knowledge Very is. True. I mean, Very true. Very true. You just, you just don't know. And, and you know, it's so enticing when someone says, I got the best tip. I, I heard this from, uh, I heard this from the guy that uh, shines my shoes, you know, I just don't think you're going to get that kind of kind of good information. I really don't think so. I think that's way too dangerous. That's just me. That's just me. But but I would check it out. I would always check it out. You know? What's number two, Dave? Number two. Listen to advice that you overheard in the locker room at the club. Uh, no. First of all, we can't get into workout clubs anymore, right? I was going to say, this <laughs> This must have not been written during quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> Who does that? Who goes? To, I don't think you can get in. We were, we were talking a few minutes ago. If, if they have some outside area, maybe you can go work out. If there's only inside area, you can't work out. I don't know who would want to go to a, you know, heavy breathing, hot, sweaty club in the time of the Corona V. What do you think? I... Just speaking for myself, I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't go a million right now. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. There, okay. But I mean, you're overhearing someone, let's say you are, and you overhear someone in the next locker and they're going, they're on the phone and they're going, uh, hey, Uncle Louie, I, uh, I got this great tip, you know? Bye, 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 this, this, this. Well, I mean, you don't know the person, typically. You don't know what their contact to the issue is. You have no knowledge of the people. You have no idea why that person might be advising that. I mean, I've, I've seen people over the years that were pumping up their favorite stock with no real expectation that it was going to do well. They just wanted to, to try and pump it up. I don't know. I don't think I would ever, ever, ever do that. How about number three, radio ads. Give me a break radio ads. I saw or listened to a radio ad and they were talking about, hey, invest in, you know, invest in deeds of trust. And these are the, these are the investments that, that, you know, Buffett and all these people get, you can get double rates of return with, with no risk. I don't think it was a stock. It was, it was more like an investment in real estate from what I could gather, but who would listen to that? I mean, you know, the the, the the greedy side of you goes, yeah, 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 yeah. And when you really start to think it through, come on. And they're they're advertising on the radio for that? How poor can that be? Have you ever heard that before, Nick? No, but if I did hear correctly, you're saying I could get 100% ROI and in a short period of time, 
And my dad always told me, if it's too good to be true, it likely is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wouldn't listen to, I wouldn't listen to, to radio stuff. Now there are some radio shows out there where, you know, they talk about retirement and st- strategies and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, take that with a, a grain of salt too. That, that's not really an ad per se, but take that with a grain of salt too, because you don't know what they're promoting, what they're looking to do, et cetera, et cetera. You gotta, you really gotta think for yourself. Number four, TV commentators. Well, I don't know. To me, it's the same as radio. I mean, the only guy I like to listen to maybe a little bit, I was just going to say, Jimmy Kramer, mad money. You know, I like listening to him. I, I think his sound effects are, you know, a little goofy, but I always like the kind of advice that 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 he provides. So if you're going to listen to a TV show and and learn some stuff, maybe not get tips, but learn some stuff. Yeah, mad money, maybe not a way to go. Uh, oh, you, man, I, I love Kramer. And just for Kramer? Kramer, I'm going to give a booyah. <laughs> and Jim, if you're listening, please give me a shout out. Um, but I, I, I think he's great. I, I watch his Mad Money show uh, from three to four every day after I get off work. I think it's just pure entertainment. But when, when it comes to his stocks, you know, this kind of goes back to number one, in my opinion, on number one, which is get tips from not Dave's uncle loose lips, Louie, but from uh, Jim Kramer, you, you know, just take it with a grain of salt, do your own diligent research and invest from there. Yeah. But I think he's got some good insight. I think he's been successful over the years. Um, I appreciate his analysis, um, but you still got to spend the time to think through what he's saying and to see whether you agree and, and why you agree or disagree. It takes, it takes time and effort. It just does. Number five, just follow Peter Lynch's Beat the Street book and walk down the middle of the mall and look for the busy store and buy stock in the busy store. What do you think about that? I think it's pretty general. However, it's a similar strategy to how I'm investing right now. I see, I just invested in Amazon and Apple uh, before it went up this past week and what I'm currently doing is I'm looking at kind of quarantine stocks where people are investing their money and spending their money during this quarantine, i.e. Amazon. People are ordering Amazon now more than ever. And I, I, I think that, uh, you know, seeing what's busy can be a very lucrative tip and can really help you out. Right, right. I find it really interesting to know what you're, uh, you know, what you're investing in. But for the listeners, I don't want that to con- uh, be considered an endorsement. This or is a not, a fi- not at this all. This is not financial <laughs> advice. This, this is solely Nicholas Appel's only his strategy only for himself. There you go. There you go. When I was um, thinking about this, uh, you know, this Peter Lynch strategy, it seems to me it's, it's more of a, uh, look at the big picture kind of strategy and then do your homework from there. So if you see something in the mall that's doing well, check it out. I mean, Toys R Us was pretty busy before they went out of business, you know? So, so it was that, Brooks Brothers, so was yeah. CPK, so yeah. was every yeah. other bankrupt stock now. Yeah, it, it's not the absolute indicator, but it's something to give you some ideas and, and um, uh, you know, start doing your research. But again, it takes time and effort. You've got to do your research before you execute on, uh, you know, something like that. Number six, research on the internet. Well, yeah, I mean, you can find anything on the internet. I, I mean, I'm, I'm continually amazed, 
continually amazed at the information that you can get on the internet. But like we've said time and time again, you got to consider the source of the information and it takes time. It takes knowledge. It, it takes some, some uh, mental horsepower to kind of think it through and see whether you agree or disagree, but yeah, yeah. You can get a lot of information on the, on the internet. How about number seven, momentum trading? You know what momentum trading is, Nick? I, I have no idea. Please inform me, Dave. <laughs> I talked to a fellow um, a number of years ago, and he was a pretty knowledgeable fellow, but he was momentum trading. And this was brought about by the fact that trades were had now become so cheap or almost non-existent. And he says, look, I'm a momentum trader. I get up in the morning, I see what's hot or what's cold. And I will jump on the momentum of that stock. I don't care what they sell. I don't oh. care if they're in trouble. All I'm going to do is if I see them riding up or down, I'm going to jump on board. And if I can get a little tiny piece of you know, a profit from that, right. that's my happy day. So he would sit at his computer screen, I don't know, three, four hours a day looking for momentum and just jumping on board. Actually, you know what they call... I'm a momentum trader these days, Dave. Uh, fool? No, what? Yeah, you're along the same lines. They call him a Robin Hood trader. <laughs> and okay. basically, what's what's uh, there's a site called Robin Tracks, mm -hmm. which I'm pulling it up right now, and it shows the correlation between how many new investors there are and how high the stock is going. And CNBC analysts have spoken about this several times and many new investors called millennial investors are using the popularity of a stock's increase in population to purchase that stock. So it sounds exactly like what we're talking about. No, exactly. Exactly. But I think millennium traders are, or millennials that are trading, they're not quite doing the hardcore you know, momentum move They're They're watching a couple stocks. They'll ride it up a little bit. They'll get rid of it. I, you know, I think there's a little more thoughtfulness than, than just pure momentum trading. What do you think? Well, you optimistic man, you, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it seems to me you're just guessing is that car going to go forward or is it going to go in reverse? And, right. you know, yeah, you could jump on a little piece of that movement. And maybe if you sat there all day and you jumped in and out and you had a quick internet connection and you had all day and maybe you had some software, I think this fellow back in the day had some software that he had, he had bought on TV or something. And, uh, you know, I mean, if, if you're doing all that, I, I guess you could make some money, but really you're just, you're, you're guessing it's like gambling. It seems to me. Um, I mean, I guess if you're doing it for entertainment purposes, uh, I mean, there's, there's people out there that, you know, just need some things to do and they find it very entertaining, but you got to be prepared to lose the full amount of your investment. You really shouldn't have a large piece of, um, um, you know, your money in this kind of thing. You have to acknowledge that you're doing it just for kicks. Kind of a lot like we talked about the, the lottery ticket a couple months ago with uh, you and Brian. You know, where you were saying, oh, it was a, it's a, you know, it's not an investment. And we had a statistic that showed that a lot of people that was part of their monthly financial plan. And, and, uh, you know, we were kind of down in it and Brian goes, no, wait a minute. If you buy a ticket, buy two, $3 of tickets or whatever, and you buy it two, three days before, that's going to entertain you with the thought that you might win for two, three days. 
So if you think about it as entertainment, your entertainment budget's not too high. Yeah, maybe, I guess. And we went back and forth about that. We had a good time talking about that, as I recall. Oh, yeah, that was great. But it seems to me it's the same kind of thing. I mean, if if you're going to do it for entertainment and entertainment purposes, it's not too large a piece of what you're doing. I mean, I guess. Um, and uh, but I just I just I I wouldn't recommend that. You know, what about number eight stockbroker? Nick is a millennial. <laughs> do you do you even know what a stockbroker is? They're, I think they're not I around only, as much anymore. I think I only know what a stockbroker is because my mom was a branch manager for um, a brokerage firm. But besides that, I I don't think there's much, you, there's some use, but not much, especially with brokerages like, Sh- I don't know about Schwab, but TD Ameritrade and Robinhood that are allowing free trades at zero commission. Right, right. No, it used to be you'd call up your broker or stop by and go, I want IBM at 32 and a third. And they would make some contact with their people on the exchange floor and they would send a runner to, over to the pit and they were, you know, bidding it up and down. And if, if the runner could get it at that price, they go sold and the runner would come back and get on the phone, talk to your broker. And then your broker would call you and go, well, we, we were able to get it at 33 and a third. That's oh. how it, that's how it used to be back in the day. Now, now it's now, now yeah. I just push a button, a simple yeah. button. It's on your cell phone. Even it's like, you know, you could be sitting out on a boat somewhere and 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 trading stocks, and and there's next to no cost. I think the first trades I made when I first started doing this was, I don't know, was it thirty thirty five dollars a trade or something? Oh and then it went goodness. down to you know six ninety five or seven ninety five and a dollar ninety nine. And some of the places that you're talking about, they just don't charge. They don't yeah. charge. So stockbroker, I don't know. That's that's pretty old school. It seems to me. I wouldn't be against it. Although a lot of people got some, you know, questionable advice from their, their broker. But um, I just don't think there's enough brokers around where you're really going to have a, you know, an, an ongoing relationship with a broker. But, but they're still out there, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, number nine, managed money. Well, that sounds good. You know, my thought would be perhaps. But usually you're not going to be able to get someone to manage your money until you've got a, a larger sum to, to take care of. They have minimums. And some places it's a million, some places it's half a million, some places it's smaller than that. Um, but money managers, you know, uh, can be a dime a dozen. So you still got to do your research. You got to find a good one. Somebody says to you in the locker room, uh, well, my guy got me 100% last year. Ah, run. Well, well Dan, run I, have fast. A, I have a question. Yeah. How much how, like, these money managers, they're a dime a dozen, but how much are they yielding on your investment? Well, I mean, it varies from person to person. And of course, what their, what their strategy is, are they, are they looking to invest you in income or, or, or growth or, you know, some other um, type of, of, of theme or flavor? Um, You know, it, it, it's hard to say. It's hard. It depends upon the individual money manager, but uh, someone that's not affiliated with the big house, like I, you know, I always wonder about that. You hate to see money disappearing. You hear stories about that. Although I'm sure the vast majority of people who have their money managed never have lost anything. But, um, you know, I mean, it is a way to have somebody look at it. They're looking at it full time. You know, you don't have to think about it once you pick the person and you tell them what your strategy um, should be. Um, Maybe that's something to take a look at. 
but they will take a management fee. You know, usually it's about a little under 1% a year. Um, now, if they're, if they're doing great work, um, who cares? You know, I know a lot of people have said, well, I, you know, I, I'm not going to pay what I could do. Well, for three quarters of a percent, what do you care if, if you don't have to spend the time studying and looking and doing all that stuff? Now, if you dig it, that's different. You don't need to pay anybody. But if they're returning better than the market or when the market goes down, your, your stuff goes down less than the market. Um, well, they're, they're doing their job, but you gotta, you gotta check, check them out. And you know, that takes some time. You know, I know a guy, maybe I've told this before on the, on the podcast, he was working for um, a company that managed money and they, and he said he had a real problem. And that problem was that the year before they had returned like, I don't know, 50, 60% on the money that they managed. So he'd walk into a new place and say, you know, Hey, I want you to come on board. And they said, well, what'd you return for your clients? And they'd go, well, you know, 60% last year. And the knowledgeable people said, get out, get out now, because they thought they were taking too much risk with their people's money. Right. And, and you know, I mean, too much success can be a bad thing. And um, um, so it was really interesting to hear him talk about um, having a really good year and having that be, you know, a problem for them, you know, were you, were you doing stuff in the market back during the, the dot-com bubble, dot-com bubble? Dave, I'm still young. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I was not. I actually first started investing in the market uh, during this Corona bubble. Oh, uh, really? Back in late February, early March. And okay. I've done pretty well since then. I mean, I remember back in the day, um, I, you know, I got a, um, oh, it was like a booklet with uh, charts that had performance of various funds at a brokerage house. And I remember seeing, golly, it was maybe a half a dozen funds that were up a hundred percent. And you're yeah. looking at that going, oh, this is, this is the best. I, if I can do a hundred percent every year, I can retire in three years. That but of is course, crazy. we call it the dot-com bubble and it broke and, and a lot of people lost a lot of money. A lot of people made some money, but a lot of people lost a lot of money and it was only a short lived thing. And I, I think the dot-com bubble was a, I mean, a once in a lifetime kind of thing, you know, seems to me. Yeah. But manage money as you, as you get bigger, manage money, I think is something that you definitely would want to consider, but you really got to check out the folks and check out the people and make sure that you're kind of, um, you know, in agreement with them, but something to think about. How about number 10, mutual fund? Now, you don't hear this so much anymore. Do you, you know what a mutual fund is, Nick? Kind of. Kind of. I mean, I, I believe a mutual fund is uh, basically a large brokerage house. Um, I think Bill Ackerman uh, owns a mutual fund. And I believe they charge a percentage and they're like a money manager for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. They run up, they run a fund and this was a big thing. Maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, very much in vogue. People were you know, not typically doing as well dealing with their broker and, and calling out individual stocks. And so people got together and put together a, a fund and the fund was managed by a person or a team. And you would put your money in along with everybody else and they would, uh, they would invest your money and usually with a theme or a goal, like something to match the Dow or growth or income, or if you wanted a fund that didn't have oil stocks in it or something like that, or, 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 you know, foreign investment, small cap, stuff like that. Um, very trendy back then. And it was 
easy. And it was the first time that people on a, with smaller pools of money could have access to, um, you know, good professional management. And there were tons of funds and you could just pick the fund that you want and you would go in and just watch it. Um, so the work was picking the fund, making sure that you were, you know, mentally in line with, uh, you know, the risk and rewards of that particular fund that you liked, the particular group of people that were running the fund, but you pick it or like they used to say on TV, set it and forget it. But there's, there's costs, you know, there's costs to letting someone else do the thinking. Um, a lot of these funds, especially the better ones had a, a load going in. So you'd have to pay two, 3% going in two, 3% going out. Now, I guess if you're going to invest and leave it there and it's going to go up over a bunch of years and it goes up more than the market, um, you know, two or 3% going in and out isn't the end of the day, but there were a lot of people that said, stay away from mutual funds because, you know, loads are dragging down your returns. I, I think Warren Buffett used to say this and there are also costs. They, they charge a management fee. Um, it's, it's pretty small, one, one and a half percent typically. Um, and again, what do you care if they're great, but you're paying a management fee every year, you're paying a load in or out. Um, you can, you can you used to get them, you know, I, I was gonna say through the internet, but no, you'd get them at, at the brokerage houses. You know, Schwab would have their mutual funds or funds that they were affiliated with, Fidelity, Ameritrade, all the, all the different groups had a family of funds and when you would go in there, you'd say, well, I want, I want something really roller coasterish," And they'd give you a page with a list of all the, you know, the hair blowing back kind of funds. Or you'd say, yeah, you know, I got 30 years to work. Um, you know, I want something that's going to have some fairly aggressive growth. Um, well, go ahead. well, Dave, actually real quick, going back to your whole set it and forget it. Mm -hmm. quote, I think that's a really good segue into our next topic, which is ETFs mm -hmm. because as Mr. Buffett, our favorite Warren Buffett over here mm -hmm. at TFWP has said, put your money in SPY, S-P-Y, because it tracks the entire S&P 500. And over the years, it's provided or yielded a 7% annual return. That's not bad. Not bad. But you're talking about an uh, ETF. Correct. Basically. Yeah. So let, let's talk about that just for a minute. So everybody understands what we're talking about. Uh, think of ETF as kind of a, a, a robo investment. It's a, it's a computer program and you, you put your money in and it invests your money um, mathematically to model um, a, a certain return or a, a certain group of stocks. So you can get a, in, an ETF that, that models the Dow or the Russell 200 or, or, any number of things, but instead of a person doing it, it's a program that's doing it. It's a, think of it like a computer driven kind of mutual fund. Um, there's people involved, of course. I mean, you've got to have someone there taking in the checks and writing the checks out. Um, it's just that they're not making the investment decisions. The, the computer program is mathematically making those computer decisions. And there's no load typically. Um, which is kind of nice. And the management fee is, you know, like less than a quarter of a percent annually. So the, the fees are less and, and you don't have to worry about like the manager of the fund, you know, running off with somebody or disappearing or freaking out or whatever. It's a, it's a computer program. Of course, 
that's good and bad too, <laughs> right? If you're in an ETF and it's following, uh, you know, the the Dow Jones and the Dow Jones plummets a third, your investment's going to go down a third, for sure. That's the way it's built. But if you're looking long term and you're going to let it happen long term, it'll it'll go up. What do we say that over the last whole bunch of years, whole bunch of years, 40, 50, 60, whatever, uh, the Dow's gone up an average of 10, 11, 12%. So um, maybe not a, maybe not a bad way to, uh, you know, to look at that ETF. When, when mutual funds were starting to fall a little bit out of favor or becoming a little stagnant, at least in the investment world, um, everyone thought that these ETFs were like, you know, voodoo magic or whatever. And and they did studies and they found that the ETFs typically would do as well as the the mutual funds, at least in terms of the, the area in which they were divest, investing. And then at a point, Warren Buffett came out and said, you know, I, I think these are, these are pretty good things. We ought to look at that. And that's when they really fell into, into favor recently. So um, yeah, pretty good stuff. Pretty good stuff. So there you have it. You've got uh, 11 different ways that, uh, you know, you can pick stocks. Um, that's what we call this episode, but really I'm only, I'm really only going to endorse the the last uh, two or three or four. Um, the others just strike me as, as way to, uh, uh, you know, not a good, not a good idea at all. Anyway, um, you know, let's sum it up a little bit. Start small, you know, get a couple grand, get it in a savings account. Uh, when you got a grand or two, well, then maybe you can move it to a, a brokerage house. You know, you can invest it yourself and, and read the Dividend Hunter and, and other books um, out there and do it all yourself. Or you can, when you get a little more, you can do managed money or you can put it in a mutual fund or you can put it in a, a ETF. I mean, there's all sorts of ways to do it. Um, people ask me all the time, you know, how do I get started? Well, the first way to get started is you start putting money in a separate account on a very systematic programmed method. Every month you're gonna move this amount or every paycheck you're gonna move that amount. So you just do it that way. And then when you turn around and it builds up, then you just walk into a brokerage house, you know, one of these places and say, oh, I wanna put my money in an account. And they'll set it up for you. Whether it's a retirement account, whether it's a savings account, whether you just want to, you know, get simple interest in uh, you know T-bills or whether you want to do something a little more aggressive uh, and invest in mutual funds or stocks or whatever, whatever you decide that you wanna do. But that's the way you do it. You start with a, a programmed, systematic way to put money aside. You put it in a bank account or a savings account and you let it get some interest. And when it grows a little bit, then you start the investing or managing or, um, you know, take that kind of a, take that kind of a next step. You know, I, I put 11 tips because, Hey, I wanted you to listen and I wanted to keep Nick's attention, you know, as a, as a millennial dude. And, oh, come uh, on, Dave. <laughs> you're, I mean, you're doing this right now, Nick, right? I mean, you're in law school, but you're, you're doing this. I'm doing this. I have a little bit more of a risky strategy than what TFWP endorses. Well, because However, you're, yeah, because you're young and, and you're yeah. excited about, and you're putting the time in to learn it. I'm, I'm, I'm putting the time in and no matter if you're looking for a small yield or big yield on your return, there's always going to be risks. 
I'm fortunate to be in a position where I can be a little bit more risky with my money. However, I do believe at least to start out to be safe with your money, get to understand the fundamentals of investing. It's also what the dividend hunter speaks about from uh, Ryan Steigar's book, start small, be safe. Once you get the fundamentals, then reassess your situation. Yeah. And, and stick to your guns, you know, by the way, is that book available on Amazon? It's available on Amazon, Dave. <laughs> I got to tell you, I had a real interesting, uh, you know, talk about an investment war story. Uh, just this last week, Apple went up um, a really significant amount. And you, you know, you, you look at your program on your, on your iPad and you, and you look at what you made in a day and you go, wow, holy God, look at that. That's incredible. But if I had all of my money in that, I would have made that much more. And then you step back and go, yeah, but how stupid would that to have, would it be to have all your money in Apple? You know what I mean? Well, well what's that quote from Wall Street, Dave? You tell Gordon, me. Gordon Gecko. No, <laughs> greed is good. Greed is good. <laughs> but you can't get too greedy. You got to stick to your guns. And, you know, I'm starting to to throttle back a little bit and, and not have as many aggressive investments. And that's just appropriate for me at this particular time. But, you know, it's like when you see someone hit the jackpot at Vegas, you go, yeah, I want some of that. <laughs> but, but also, gotta, but also being cautious is also good. It's also good. Having it is good. I mean, I've sat down with a couple people over the years and they said, oh, I thought that uh, this particular company was definitely going out of business. And so I bought it short and I was going to be rich in two days. And then it, something happened and it turned around, didn't see that coming and it wiped me out. And, you know, we're, we're filling out bankruptcy paperwork. So, no one should ever have everything into in in one pot. They shouldn't be aggressive. They shouldn't be picking aggressively or too aggressively, uh, and not be prepared to um, you know lose what what they're investing. I mean, these are some of these are the things that that you know our good friend Warren Buffett's talked about over the years, time and and time again. So, you know, if you're looking back at the big picture. Um, looking back to our, you know, five tips to financial success. First, you want to get all your debt paid. Secondly, you want to put your emergency fund in place. Three, you want to start your savings for your retirement, setting money aside. Four, uh, put to start putting the money together into what I'm going to call a wealth fund. It's for long-term stuff, like if you want to buy a home, if your kid's going to need an education, um, if it's going to help you with your financial independence goals. Um, those are the steps that you you want to go through. I, I, I find it interesting when I talk to people and they say, well, I want to invest in this and that and da, da, da. Well, do you have debt? Yeah, I got all this debt. Well, you really should clean up the debt before you start investing and certainly should have an emergency fund. Um, but it's been interesting. It's been interesting the last, what, year and a half, huh, Nick? Stock market was up, uh, what, 30% last year? And then it went down 30% in March. And now now it's back. I mean, not all back, but substantially back. It's crazy yeah, I, what we've seen. I still think we have a while to see what's going to happen. I mean, look at the vacation stocks. They're, they're all, they haven't come back yet because we don't even know what's going on with the Corona V. And until we have a greater lookout on you know, the vaccine, I, I think there are some stocks that have worked their way back, but I think it's still a long way, Dave. 
Yeah, yeah. Although, if you... of our new uh, people on Rushmore, Mount Rushmore, and he was saying, look, look at the, look at the big picture. He says, is it a stretch to think that when people are buying stuff from home that Amazon stock is going to go up? I mean, it seems kind of obvious when you look at the big picture like that. That's my philosophy. It doesn't always happen, but it seems, it seems pretty obvious. And that's why I appreciate Kramer. Hey, look at the time. We're way out of time, but I had a good time talking about this stuff. How about you? Time flies when you're having fun, Dave. No, I love it. I love it. All right. So next week, we're going to talk about maybe what your retirement might look like. For some of you, that's a long way off, but it's time to start thinking about it. Come back next week and we'll see you then. This is Dave Hagan, and you've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to financial success. If you have a question that you would like Dave to answer on the podcast, go to thefinancialwellnesspodcast.com. You can leave an audio message with one click of a button or type your message into the question box. Either way, it's sent right to Dave's phone. Remember, Dave will randomly draw from the submitted questions and pick the winner of a free one-hour personal conversation with Dave to help you achieve your financial goals. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you receive the new episode notifications or share the podcast via the app with your family and friends. This is your announcer, Nick Appel, wishing you every financial success.